we have a session to record here since um all right so i'm gonna start i'm gonna start with my story because I, I i need your help i need i need i think some of my it's not this has nothing to do with my anxiety by the way uh this was just a something that happened to me a while ago that i thought i would share since i recently got some feedback that i thought was interesting okay um so we had to turn back the clock to a couple of months before I became a full-time employee and I was working with a recruiter just to, to do some job interviews. Right. I remember that. And one of the interviews I did was with a larger company. I won't name names, but they had me do this thing called Hire View. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, Sorry, but it's this, lame. It is lame. It's the lamest thing ever. But essentially, you, it's, it's an interview with pre-recorded questions and you have to record yourself and, re- and it gets recorded and then it gets submitted off, and then that's how they – that was like kind of their first screening process. Uh, I did not like it. I hated it. Like what – was it questions or – So essentially the, the person doing the, the interview has a moment before the question gets asked or gets, gets some time with a pre-recorded message to ask you the question. And then it gives you like 30 seconds to compose yourself, and then when you're ready, <clears throat> you record your response, and you have a certain lot of time to re- record your response. And then you click next, and the next the interview comes back, says says their pre recorded message, and then you get a chance to respond. It took about an hour to go through twelve questions. Wow. Okay. Uh, and that was kind of part of the problem was it was only twelve questions. It's like about five minutes a question. Yeah, well, it's about three minutes, but there's like the minute of them to ask their question, the the time to kind of compose yourself before the recording actually starts, and then your three minute response, and then so on and so on. So yeah. It was, it was, it just did not seem efficient and it was not comfortable to do at all. I, I feel like the, and not to, I'll just make a brief comment here because I'm not trying to sidetrack you, but the whole, the way people interview, the way companies do interviews now, it seems really inefficient. I mean, I just, I'm so thankful that I haven't had to really do much interviewing and I don't even have a resume. It's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> um, there's but a lot of things I didn't have. That, but I watch these people, they go on like three or four or five or six in, rounds of interviews. Mm-hmm. And they're all, you know, they got to fly out somewhere every time or whatever, or, or a lot of the times, you know, usually the first one you don't have to fly out for, they want to do a phone or something, but then they want you flying yeah. out there all the time. And, and I don't know, some companies try to make that more efficient, especially if you're flying out there, they'll like try to compress all those rounds into one day and just have you meeting with people all day, which is, you know, I, I can't imagine the stress of that, but at least... They're compressing it, but anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. Continue. Well, there's uh, for one thing. I didn't. What I didn't like about this, at least with a phone interview or at least some kind of interactive interview, you had the opportunity to ask for clarification, or you had the ability to kind of communicate and interact and have a conversation about something. Like humans do. This felt more like a proctored exam. Yeah. I felt like I was taking an exam. Um, so I'll tell you to tell you a little bit about the role because it leads into the response I got, and that is this was for a technical architect position. This is what they advertised for. And uh, it seemed right up my alley. It seemed, you know, they wanted someone strong in Salesforce. They, want, they wanted someone who, they even mentioned, you know, the opportunity to build out a team and to kind of really, they really wanted to build out this Salesforce team to do, you know, to, for their organization to really build it out. And they, they were even talking about having data scientists on the team that were going to be coming on for some analytics stuff that they were going to build. So I was like, man, this sounds pretty exciting. This sounds like I'll get to do a lot of different things. They're into CPQ and all that kind of stuff sales support, a bunch of different things. So I was kind of excited about it when I saw and read the description. And this was probably one of the first interviews ever. Did, did where, you, by the way, did you ask about the data scientist? Did I ask if and, I could be the they, data and, scientist? No, about the data scientist and how they became a data, data scientist? No. You should have, or you could have played in this it clip. It was really easy. I just changed my title to data scientist. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
Well, I kind of feel like that's what happened with this this role is they just changed the title from system admin to technical architect. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you why I said that. But this was this is one of the first interviews ever where I disqualified them. After taking that interview, I was like, this is horrible. This hey, is not every work. job you decided not to take is a, is something where you disqualified them. So I don't. Oh, I guess. But this is this is off of the first interview. Usually, I'm like, okay, we've had that first round. It's a screening process. Let's let's go through. I did not want to do any more after this. Yeah. Um, but I was curious about what they thought of that process or that interview, what they thought of me or what they got out of me. Because I'll tell you this, I failed that interview hard. The way the questions were, they were very admin specific. There were things like... So they were technical the, questions. No, they were, they were not technical no, questions. No, I mean, I, mean, I, don't mean te- I don't mean technical, like coding technical. I mean, they were very much nuts and bolts about, the, about some tool or system. It's, this was Salesforce related. Okay. So this, one of the questions was, what is the limit of assignment rules? Okay, that's a, that, I mean, that, I, that, I'm saying that's technical. That's that's like super nuts and bolts, like detailed stuff about a particular system. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there's also some some questions on sharing rules, but the way the questions were being asked, it was like they were using Salesforce. They hit a limit, and they wrote that question <laughs> down. And it was like, what would you do if you came across this limit? And, and to me, it was like, oh, this happened to you, didn't it? Or maybe because the way these questions <laughs> happened, it was like they try to do something, they hit a limit, and now they look for someone who can kind of avoid these pitfalls. Now, I know what they did before they interviewed you. They went and asked their, you know, their Salesforce team, "Hey, what what problems are you guys having problem? You know, problems getting passed right now that I that we that I can uh, maybe go get you some answers on." <laughs> so they just made a list of them and then went and asked you and. And I, I, you painted the term, you used the term nuts and bolts. And I'm like, that's not nuts and bolts. And, and in fact, even in the interview, I failed because I'm like, I don't know what the limit is on assignment rules. I don't memorize limits. If I need, if I come across a limit or I need to know a limit because I'm trying to design a solution, I'll go and look it up. I don't dedicate a lot of memory space to it. The other thing is that I, the way I see technical architect role, I see it as a very technical person, someone who's going to take um, requirements and kind of really design out a solution. So in my lead up to this interview, I tried to prepare myself and I really prepared myself on technical stuff. I practiced on my own, just responding to technical questions, you know, like, you know, how would I solve this problem? How would I, you know, if I got given this requirement, what kind of things would I look for? What kind of follow-up questions would I make um, from a technical perspective? What systems would I inter- involve and all those kind of things? I was really thinking technical architect, or at least what I think a technical architect is. And maybe I don't know what a technical architect is. Maybe, maybe someone can educate me on what a technoarchit is because I don't I don't even like the title. Well, I mean, that just reminds me of all the debates around it, just in general, like what people call like an architect or a software architect. I mean, no one has cohesive definitions around or, or at least consistent definitions around what that even is. Because yeah. it, in fact, when you just said to you, a technical architect is someone who's very technical and, and I know the technical is in the name, but to me, the more important skills of a technical architect actually aren't technical because... I mean, yes, you have to have technical skills, I guess, to some degree. But I feel like there are other skills that are way more important than that. To I think be, so. To, be, a, to yeah. be an effective TA. I think so. And I think, I think, and the reason I say I failed this is I wasn't able to answer a lot of these questions um, effectively or confidently in a way because I was kind of thrown off by the whole thing. I was like, I was expecting to answer something more either general or to just kind of be able to demonstrate my skills in analyzing requirements, providing solutions, thinking through problems, those kind of things. Instead, it felt more like like what they were really wanted was a system admin. They wanted to interview someone who knew all the point and clicks in and ins and out of Salesforce. Um, well, that's that's also I think that's why they disqualified themselves because they didn't even know how to interview you. They didn't know even how to talk to you like you're a TA. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, I mean it was it was really weird. And at the end of it, I was I hated it, and I even sent back a response to the recruiter who was helping me at the time. You tell him to suck it. 
No, I, I the, the recruiters actually was really good. It's actually one of the few recruiters that I enjoyed working with. <laughs> but now, she was really great. But was this a recruiter at the company or was this a third? Like this a, is a third party recruiter, okay. um, and even she kind of said, "Yeah, this this whole high review thing is not good for technical." questions or interactions or things like that because there's really no conversation i mean i think that type of role is all about conversation it's all about defining solutions but anyways i keep trying to justify it um so the reason this is coming up is because recently i think last week or the week before that recruiter called me again on a different opportunity she had and i was like well no i'm already employed but what is it is it exciting (laughs) you know you never say no but anyways um I asked her, I was like, hey, remember that company that I did that hire view thing for? Did you ever get any feedback from them on that? And she's like, oh, yeah, as a matter of fact, I did. And so she told me what the feedback is. And so here's the feedback on me as, 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 a, as a prospective em- employee. Okay. <laughs> uh, these were the words. She, she read them off the email. Um, and again, remember, this was for an architect role talking about building a team and things like that. And so I geared my, my responses and my opportunity to just kind of ad, lo- ad lib some things to this to the, to the what they advertised for. Okay. Uh, but the response was, and it's only a few sentences, uh, not strong in SFDC. <laughs> Sounds like a person that wants to manage and not actually do the work. That was the feedback. So part of me was like, I dodged a bullet. The other part of me kind of felt, damn, I suck that bad. Well, I've been doing this for 13 years and someone someone's description of me is not not solid in SFDC. <laughs> well, the, I, again, I don't the, the problem is that you know they didn't really know how to I don't think they would know how to interview for an admin role, not to mention a technical architect role. Yeah. Cuz even with an admin role, I mean, <clears throat> you know, as as a developer, I, and I've I think the internet and just fast computers and and massive amounts of uh, data storage and all that have made us lazy like I'm really bad about memorizing APIs nowadays. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I've been doing a lot of front-end stuff. And I've been working with JavaScript since before half the people listening to this podcast were even born, probably. <laughs> and I still am constantly, you know, and I have this little, little. I'm sure there's probably more efficient ways, but like if you just Google like MDN sort or something like that, or, mm-hmm. or, or MDN, you know, filter, it's going to bring you up the, the, the Mozilla's, you know, MDN sort method for the array you know it's or there's just like you know and i am constantly referencing apis for these classes and things i've been working with for 20 years because my brain doesn't work that way and if i have to and and yeah on limits there are there are certain limits that we memorize because they're part of your every day you know Mm -hmm. and you kind of just need to memorize them but there are lots first of all there's i mean even outside of the coding space i mean there are so many limits in salesforce that you could be a problem at some time, or you might want to know about. But I mean, you can't memorize them, not even close to me now. I mean, the best thing, the thing that you should know how to do is, is first of all, before you, before you actually design something, or, or before you get too far down in a design, to just do a check and see if there's not any limits you might hit. But again, that requires you popping open the reference or looking, or like, you know, asking yourself, well, gosh, is there a limit on the number of workflow rules I can have, or a number of like actions, or a number, you know. Mm-hmm. Those are the kinds of things, but you, you can't memorize all those. I mean, yeah. And funny enough, that's kind of similar to the response I gave, was that I don't really spend a lot of time memorizing these limits. I can look them up. Usually what I do is when a requirement comes up where we might be using this feature, I'll go and just double check and see what the limit is at TA that point should be, in time. And, TA should be broad. They should be, like, you should spend your extra time, like, um, reading the new OAuth spec or... or um, 
looking at MuleSoft's new capability or whatever. Just like, you know, you need to be broad. I mean, as a TA, you're really, you know, I mean, there's probably some things you're a little deeper on than others, obviously. But yeah. generally, generally speaking, I mean, you're not going to be, oh, well, um, how many connectors does MuleSoft support now? Or you know, it's like just arbitrary, useless things. Like no one, you shouldn't keep facts like that in your head. That's a waste of brain space. That's the way I've always kind of viewed it. But after that interview, I kind of felt like, or at least after getting that feedback, I was like, maybe I should be spending more time memorizing this stuff. Maybe maybe if I want to stay in the Salesforce world, I should start memorizing more of the point and click stuff. I, I've, I've dedicated most of my brain energy to technical stuff, development stuff, APIs, integrations, uh, Apex code, Lightning. Sorry. <laughs> I, I don't spend a lot of time with the point and click interface. In fact, the other day I was trying to set up something in my development environment. I was trying to set up a partner community and I'd forgotten how to set up a, a darn partner community. Yeah. Uh, well, and it's, I was, it's one of those things. I mean, I you know I've done a lot of community stuff in the past few years, and I, I I don't think I could tell you how to actually go start one from new. I'm sure it's like set up communities, but it's, it's I've I've literally I've I've spent thousands of hours the past few years working on communities, and I couldn't walk you through how to set up a new one right now. Yeah, because you you do it for like out of those three thousand hours that I've worked in communities, I did it like I'd spent thirty minutes doing it three years ago. <laughs> you know, it's like you don't memorize stuff like that. I know. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, that that was my experience with that. Um, so, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I hope you didn't let that bother you. Oh, it, it it's it bothered me and continues to bother me. Believe it or not, it should bother them more than you, though. It should, and I, you know, it doesn't it's, reflect it's funny on you. In my head, logically, I'm going. I'm I'm glad that never happened because those weren't the right people to work with or work for. That would have been horrible. And, but it was just that that amount of feedback was like, you don't even know me. It's like someone judged me and they don't know me. And I'm like, you don't even know me. You don't know and so me. It, it bugs the hell out of me. But also it kind of, it, I, it also kind of made me realize I am kind of weak on the point and click stuff. Is that something I want to invest time in? Is, do I, do I want to pursue a, Sorry. an official CTA title and get all the certifications and be strong in point and click and development? Um, I don't even see the CTA thing even being strong in development, but I could be wrong. It seems like with Salesforce and the features and the mantras, it's it's all about being a citizen developer. Um, but anyways, my, my philosophy has always been Salesforce is a tool, you know, having smart people who can help define solutions and use those tools to the best of their effectiveness is really what you should be looking for. Not necessarily someone who spent their entire career just point and clicky. Yeah, That's I just mean, my opinion, though. I don't want to piss anybody well, off. Like just, it's just an opinion. I even think like when you're hiring developers, I mean, you really want people, you want people who know how to think creatively and, and solve problems and go, f go figure stuff out yeah. because you can give someone, I mean, there's, there's, I don't know, uh, this is totally reductive, but I mean, you, there's kind of two types of developers. There's the ones that you have to tell them exactly what to do. Okay. Use this mail, Java mail API, send an email, use this thing to do this. You have to tell them everything you want to do. Right. And then there's developers that you can say, Hey, the client wants, um, be able to do this type this type of thing and then the developer goes and figures it out like they go research the apis and third potential third-party services and like they can they're thinking they're thinking mm. they're discovering they're being resourceful and they've got they've got a kind of a broad base of experience to know how to quickly weed out solutions that don't make sense or that are kind of sketchy or you know just people who you trust to go make all these decisions now maybe they bring some of those things back and say hey i was thinking about using this service Are we cool with that or like you know but even knowing when to do that because they can't bring every decision to you because there's like a thousand decisions, little bitty decisions for every little feature. Like, yeah. don't ask me how to name a CSS class and don't ask me, you know, there's like things that I don't want you to ask me. 
Um, but knowing, that's but knowing what questions for, right? to, knowing, yeah, knowing <laughs> what questions though to, to to bring up and to bring back, and just having that kind of judgment. That's that's the hard stuff. I mean, good God, if I need you to do Python and you haven't done any Python before, but you've done Java and Ruby, I mean, who cares? I mean, you'll learn. You know, I'll have you working in Python in, th- in the next three hours, and you know, you'll be proficient by a week or two from now. It's not. That's not. I'll, I'll have a solid hello world for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the kind of stuff. You know, syntaxes and whatever. That that's not. Why, why people interview for that, or the, and, or you know, knowing the number of limits, like that is the stupidest way to interview. You're, you're really you're passing on. You, you could be passing on amazing people because you don't know how to interview. But we've talked. This is, I feel like this is one of our recurring themes. Is like, first of all, interviewing is hard. I don't even think mm-hmm. I'm good at it. I don't have to do it very often. But sometimes I have clients that want me to help interview for them. It's always like, damn. And usually what that means is they don't know how to interview at all, and they want me to basically run their interview program until at least they get a couple of candidates hired. I mean, I get asked to kind of do kind of a review. I don't call them interviews, but I call them just kind of a conversation about and kind of understand where they're at technically and what their aptitude is and those kind of things. But You know why you don't call them interviews? Why? Because you don't like interviews, and I don't blame you. I don't either. I'd rather call it, I'd rather, I wish we, can we just throw that word away? But then whatever word we pick will become the I know, word but at least hate. for a while it'll we'll have that honeymoon period where it doesn't have a bad connotation. I think I think you just jumped into the world of Salesforce marketing. I did. Yeah, You're exactly. like in the head of the Salesforce marketing department. Speaking like, of that, did you see that the, the integration cloud now has an, has been rebranded after a, a record setting four weeks of being called was, integration cloud? Wait a minute. It, so it was Mule and then it, it was the integration cloud because that's what they Well rushed. that was that was their first brand. You gotta give Salesforce I mean, they get to they get to rebrand something when they buy it. That's fair. That's fair. But four weeks later, now it's got a new name. Did you see that? No. What is it now? Ah, I've, I've actually I've forgotten. I don't even know. I saw it. In, I thought in it was still Integration Cloud. No, it's got a new name. It's uh, Sales, oh, Salesforce 360. Unless that was a joke. Um, actually, that's not a bad name for it, but still. It's actually not a bad name. But unfortunately, Salesforce has uh, Google bombed the internet with the 360 view of your customer, you know? Yeah. And so you can't find it. That could have been a joke. I'm not sure. <laughs> Somebody fact check me on that. I, I mean, that's not a bad name for it. I mean, that's when it comes to integrations and it's, what is, did CIO magazine just publish something about 360 customers says, so here's what's happened to me. <laughs> In the last few months, I've had a lot of co- co- companies with one initiatives and within that initiative is this 360 customer view initiative. So the, the, the 360 view is driving the one initiative. God, that's a lot of, that was a lot of corporate speak. Right yeah, there. it was. My head is spinning right now. <laughs> I'm not even sure what to think. Uh, well, <clears throat> I've got a, I've got, um, I actually had a couple of San Francisco things. I think I'm just not going to go to one though. One is how, one, it was in the, it was in, uh, where was it? Um, New York Times actually it a, it's actually one of these feature articles that New York Times does a really good job of where there's really good imagery and the I mean the, the, their parallax CSS guys are really good you know it's like so smooth and amazing but it's just about how Salesforce or Salesforce well p- pretty much San Francisco has taken taken this giant gamble on just building in the areas that's built in the way that it's built and all this uh, building like buildings, yeah, or? you know, just buildings and and just building things in areas that are just really risky from a from a seismic perspective, I guess. Oh, I see. <laughs> but anyway, I don't. I don't I'm going to skip that because it actually was not very exciting. Well, I want to ask you a question. Then okay. does does that parallax stuff 
like resonate with you? Like a really nice website, does that resonate with you? More so than a crappy website that's got good content? I mean, I'm an old man, so pretty much anytime I see Parallax, I'm just like, get off my lawn. (laughs) (laughs) But when it's done really well, it is kind of nice. Unfortunately, as soon as, I mean, my brain now is trained to, like as soon as I see any Parallax, I'm immediately on on the lookout for bad Parallax because 90% Mm -hmm. of the time it's bad. I usually see it and I look for my opportunity to click the little reader icon that, that yeah. strips it all out and you're just down to text. But sometimes it's done really well and just it's just beautiful and smooth and no jank. And it's like, wow, that's somebody knew what they were doing. Or someone really crafted this thing to like insane details. They got a little artist know about it. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's libraries that help you because I don't think, I think nowadays you don't, uh, it's rare that you're doing a lot of really manual parallax. I think you use mm-hmm. one of these libraries. Yeah. Like animation or whatever, but anyway, um, no. This is just a, a kind of a kind of a follow up to what we've talked about on San Francisco recently. Just of course being out there a few, few weeks ago for Trailheadics. Um, but this is about um, there's a guy who I guess what is this guy's name? Joe uh, Delisandro, and he's the president of SF Travel, which is their city visitors bureau. And it's his job to promote San Francisco. Um, and. He uh, is not, he's not too, he, he's, he's irritated right now, I guess you could say. Why is he irritated? Well, okay, let me just start here. So people injecting themselves with drugs in broad daylight, their dirty needles and other garbage strewn on sidewalks, uh, tent camps, human feces, the threatening behavior of some people who appear either mentally ill or high, and petty theft. And of course, I mean, I think I experienced all we those saw, things. I was going to say, we Pretty saw much all, all of those. the above there. So there. this is his quote. Um, the streets are filthy. There's trash everywhere. It's disgusting. Uh, he said, adding that he's traveled the world and San Francisco stands, stands out for the wrong reasons. I've never seen any other city like this. The homelessness, dirty streets, drug use on the streets, and smash and grabs. Uh, how can it be, he asks, how can it have gotten to this point? Uh, we can't be quiet anymore. We've got such a glorious history, such a beautiful setting. And you know, that's, what, that's, that's to me what's really sad about San Francisco. Like, it really is a beautiful setting. And it, it does is. have amazing really history beautiful. and like culturally so many amazing things have come out of there. And it's, yeah. I mean, just, it breaks my heart to see that city now that it's, it's painful for me to go there. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that it's too expensive, but it's painful to see, to, it's just painful to see that Yeah. Um, because there's parts of San Francisco that I absolutely love. And it, and it pains me that like, you know, my wife doesn't want to go there, but you know, we'll, we'll, you know, it's just not a, it should be such a great place to I mean, go. You could walk and just maybe two or three blocks and end up in the wrong area. And really fear for your life. I mean, that's that's kind of sad in, in as well, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, you really have to know where the boundaries are because you can make one turn yeah. and you're in a really bad place. Um, let's see. He just says they're all letting it slip away and the, and the, the quality of life there is not good for anyone. He said, we become complacent and I think we've taken this as a kind of new normal and it's not. It's wrong and we have to do something about it. Uh, he's saying that so many visitors are sending complaints to him about their experiences in, in San Francisco that he's got to speak up. And that, that's what's weird is like, you know, he's out publicly complaining now, but it's, it's actually his job to, to keep people coming in, visiting San Francisco, right. to keep, you know, visit, you know, tourists coming in, con- business, business conferences coming in, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but he's joining a growing chorus of people whose jobs make them dubious about telling a, a columnist their real opinion of San Francisco, but who say they have they have to. Um, they have to because working behind the scenes isn't moving the needle. And this other guy, his name's Kevin Carroll. He's a uh, some like a director of this hotel council, which represents like 110 hotels in San Francisco. Uh, and he said, um, "People say I love your city, I love your restaurants, but I'll never come back." 
And that's, again, that's like kind of where we're at. Um, yeah, it's just, I don't, I don't really, I mean, I do kind of, I did enjoy the conference. I did enjoy getting the opportunity to meet people, you know, people listen to the show or just other people in the community. I, I, that was the most valuable and always has been the most valuable experience for me if, about these conferences. But you could do that anywhere. I mean, that's, you know, that's nothing to do with San Francisco, You, you right? can, you can locally, like, but a lot of the people that I enjoy working or interacting with are overseas. And so if, Usually, I don't get to see those unless it's like a Dreamforce or a Trailhead or some major conference where they, you know, because it's a big expense for them too to kind of yeah. cross the ocean and come mm-hmm. over here. So, I mean, that that's the one thing I enjoy about it. And that's, that's the one thing that keeps me from saying, no, I'll never go back. Yeah. Right. And I don't say I'm not, I'm, I don't, I don't go to San Francisco for, for, um, for pleasure. I, I, for yeah, I was going to, I was going to say that it's, it seems it's sad that you can't say, I went to a conference there. I had a great time. I'd love to take my wife and kids out there. You can't say that. I'd never want to take my kids out there. It's just things I don't want them to see. So this is something about business events. So this guy, D'Alessandro, and then some other guy who's like a public policy person, they just say they're hearing increasing complaints from business organizations that pay a lot of money to hold events here. And Salesforce could very well be one of those. I'm sure I'm sure Salesforce is highly involved in oh, yeah. with these groups and, and these people You know, trying to just improve the situation. But... Well, Salesforce also has a park that they adopted, don't they? Uh, well, I don't know. They they named like that kind of street area between like Moscone North and South, and they re- didn't that didn't they get called Salesforce Park or something? I, I, yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, uh, the thing is, like, you got companies like Salesforce who you know seems like they give a lot of money to San Francisco, whether it's to the schools or um, you probably adopting like parks and different things like that. Um, I'm just saying that those 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 type of places do attract more of the homeless and things like that because they're public spaces. So I got to think if, if you adopt a park and you're having that problem, you're one of the complainers. So right. I'm saying. So, I, so not only, you know, do you have all this, you know, I, cause you think it's, that, and that, I don't know, I guess my one thing in my head is it's not a money problem because you have all this philanthropy, but also you've got some of the most expensive real estate in the country. Now I don't know if they have real estate taxes there like we do here, property tax. But if they don't, they certainly have income tax, which is uh, so you got some of the highest incomes in San Francisco too, right? So and these conferences bring in a lot of tourism. exactly they've got these revenue streams. In fact, um, these business conventions and tourists result in uh, seven hundred twenty-five million dollars a year of tourists. Uh, I, I believe tourists, it. I believe tourists, it. You know, yeah, it's just like extra income that, and it's like, what are you, what are you doing with that? Almost a billion dollars. I mean, I'm you know, and I don't know, I don't know how much. I mean, all all cities have some form of corruption or other, but it's like it's it's hard to imagine that that money is being well spent. You don't see it. Yeah, and and I know that money doesn't solve all these problems. I mean, they've you know look at education. They've you can look and like you can spend more money on edu- on like public education, and it doesn't seem to improve outcomes. It's not an education. It's not a. It's not necessarily a, a money thing. Although money yeah. helps. Anyway, uh, let's see. Where was I? Okay, right. So the business thing. So the, for the first time, this this business, I guess, group, they've hired their own safety consultant, who's a retired San Francisco police captain. And he's this guy's job was to come up with strategies to keep the convention goers safe around Moscone Center and downtown. So I wonder if those guys were out and about, like you know, at Trailhead or at, uh, at even at Dreamforce. He says he'll be directing police officers, uniformed off, or I guess they're ten B police officers, some type. I don't know, uniformed off duty uh, officers who are paid privately. They're hired by this SF Travel uh, during big conventions. Uh, we want you to f- create a. We want to create a safe and secure environment between the hotels and Moscone Center. Wow. 
<clears throat> that's a, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. Part of me is like, okay, if I go to the conference, because there's so much resources dedicated to that area, I should feel safer. But another part of me is like, wow, that really sucks because all they're doing is moving the problem. They created this bubble around that area where they, it's highly secure. But that means right around on that edge, on that outskirts is where all the problems are going to be. Yeah. And if you happen to wander into that part, you're probably in trouble. Or if you happen to live in that area and pay extreme amount, yeah. a lot of money, um, yeah, that kind of sucks. But this is interesting. So the vast majority of these business groups struggling with whether to continue hosting events in San Francisco won't speak publicly because they don't want potential in- attendees to be scared off. Yeah. So, you know, you got your oracles and your sales forces and whatever. I mean, they no, don't want I mean, to be I public about that. this because they don't want to scare, you know, your your next year's Dreamforce goers. Right. I mean, it's already, San Francisco, it's already scary enough. And, you know, we don't, I mean, having Salesforce even admitting that, that San Francisco has a problem, which they really don't. Um, even that would be validating enough to scare people off, you know. Right. You know, they want to be able to tell that. That's a fair number. statement. I mean, I, I don't fault them for not for not doing that. But recently, the Game Developers Conference was in San Francisco. 28,000 attendees, so pretty big. I mean, not on Dream for a scale, but that's like, you know, five times bigger than, or 10-something around there, bigger than Trailhead DX. So a big conference. Sounds like more fun, C- though. Certainly a big conference. I know, it does. <laughs> that's a game in the name. I mean, going to a booth, you're guaranteed to play a game. I mean, come on. But they, they found themselves in the public eye after some, some tweets uh, went viral. So an Australian gamer tweeted that San Francisco is a dangerous city and that the conference should no longer be hosted there. He cited a mugging, credit card theft, and general feeling of being unsafe. Others chimed in with stories of car break-ins, knife fights, and assaults. Uh, one attendee tweeted that all the developers he talked to were, quote, still shell-shocked after this year. I mean, I saw fights. Um, we were walked from, what was it, the, the Hotel Intercontinental, which is right next to Moscone, over to Market, which is a fairly safe walk. But then we went like just a little little zigzag to get over to McKellar Bar. Mm-hmm. And I left as soon point, as we right? crossed Market Street, you know, there's, the, there's this fight happening between these two women. And, like, and there's just all these people standing around and like egging them on and like, cussing and it's just and like and then of course I'd look right past it towards where we're trying to get McKellar and there's like a you know there's all these just people all drugged out and it's just it's just like oh my god this is ridiculous I mean luckily I'm not really spooked by things I mean I guess I could you know you could just have bad luck and find yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time but generally people don't scare me but I mean there was one time when um, I was I was about to cross the street but I stopped because the little little orange man said stop Oh, so you follow the rules. Yep, nice. I try to. Yeah. But there was a um, homeless person, right? There was a little sleep. I thought they were sleeping right there at the at the walkway. But this woman kind of sits up and just starts screaming at me at the top of her lungs. And I didn't look at her because I'm like, I don't want to make eye contact. Usually yeah. that makes it worse. And I, But because I didn't look at her, I'm like, I'm, just, I'm kind of afraid, like, I, I don't know what she's going to do. And because I can't see what she's doing, I won't be able to, like, defend myself or react in time. Yeah, but she's like just going to town on me, like compl- you know, yell. I mean, th- I mean, it was one of those yelling. You could hear it. A bl- I'm sure you could hear it a block away. It was so loud, and she was complaining about something. I don't know, money or I can't remember what it was, but and, and, I, and, asked, and again, probably asked you for money. And I, mean, you I just wasn't order. I wasn't really pissed. scared. I haven't. I haven't ever been like physically assaulted in San Francisco. Of course, I've only you know I don't go there very much. Yeah, I mean, so. fortunately, nothing has happened to me personally. I mean, I've seen a lot of things, but I haven't. Nothing's. Nothing's happened to me, which I got to be really thankful for, apparently, yeah. hearing other people's stories. Anyway, I mean, this, uh, this article goes on, but 
that's just, I, I don't know. What do you do? What do you do? What, what, why can't they fix that city? I mean, I guess I keep bringing it up because, well, number one, it's actually, it's in the news. Yeah. I'm not making this up. But we're going to have to go back there. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, why don't we fix this? Or, and of course, I, I think the, the potentially bigger problem Salesforce has is they want to have events in San Francisco that San Francisco really is. I mean, it's not a big city. You know, it's not geographically wise and it's, it's already jam packed as it is. Yeah. Um, and it just doesn't have room for the size of conference that dream for. I really wish they would have that. I mean, really it's, I don't know, I keep saying this, but I think, I think Vegas is, is more well-equipped. It's I, more spread out. There's, there's more, there's more hotel rooms. It's just, it just would be better. I wish they would downplay Dreamforce a little bit more. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I I like the idea of Trailhead being for the people that do the work, as it's been described. You know, the admins, the developers, all those kind of things. Let that be their conference, and then let let all the salespeople and the people selling products and the customers go to Dreamforce. And and maybe if we can get rid of all the admins and all those kind of things out of that conference. <laughs> get rid of all the admins. <laughs> all the admins and developers and get them out of there. That's a it'll kind of re- it'll reduce the size a little bit and people will get more value out of it. I don't know. I just get rid of all the admins. Okay. <laughs> got that one. No. Yeah. Um well that's that's I think would sell Drew with Dreamforce is that it's, you know, I don't know, was it eighty percent kind of sales and marketing people? Which is, you know, they're the users. I mean, they're the big users of Salesforce. So it's, for some it, people, that's their vacation. That's, that's it is. The, that's oh, their, sure. That's their, that's, their, that's their company paid yeah, vacation it's, it's, right they, there. You know, they work for a company that's got a, a decent, you know, um, travel slash, yeah. you know, training budget or whatever. That's what you get. Or if you're smart, you worked it into your uh, terms of of employment. I mean, why do you like? Do you, I get a trip to Dreamforce every year. Why do you think Salesforce makes it a giant party with concerts and poop boats and because they're selling. No, that goes on the marketing. To, that goes. That goes. No, the they're selling, budget. but they're making you feel good. They're they're whining and dining you. They're dazzling you. Steak and hookers. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You're lucky. Want some steaks? Did we ever have any steaks while we were there? I don't think we. Yeah, did. we did at the at the. Um, oh, that's Argentinian right. Place. I couldn't finish it because I was so full because you made me eat so much. <laughs> so my fault. It is. I made you eat. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, uh, Amazon. Dot com or Amazon. What do they call it? What's their company name? Is it Amazon? They have a hundred million Prime members. They just hit this. Uh, and there's no point that to this. I just, <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, quick, quick, quick quiz here. How many people in the world are there, John? I don't know. A trillion. Oh my God. <laughs> just want to sound wow. dumb when I said a billion customers. <laughs> wow. Uh, so they have a hundred million Prime members. And I just think, well, that's interesting because. First of all, that's a lot of people. It, McDonald's it, serves a billion every day. That's true. Uh, no, not every day. A billion served. <laughs> and about 900 million of those are the same people that go there over and over and over. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Amazon, 100, 100 million Prime members. And it just, you know, always, I don't know, Amazon is, is becoming more in the forefront of my thoughts. Uh, They're getting kind of scary. They are getting scary. That's yeah. what's. They're so they're so I, big. They're so dominant. They're they're running everyone else out of business. And and as yeah. much as I love getting my deodorant automatically delivered and groceries and you know quote free two day delivery, which is a utter BS. We um, need we, they need more competition. They need competition. Now, yeah. what happened to like Jet, like Walmart's Jet thing that they bought? You know, does anyone you know, Walmart, use that? Walmart seems to be gearing up to compete. And I don't it, it the way they're advertising it and the way that the the solution offerings that they're offering does seem pretty good. Um, I'm just not a Walmart shopper, but I can see how someone who's a Walmart shopper 
like I could see how they could be a competitor for Amazon. Well, Walmart is still competitor. Walmart's one of the few companies that's still bigger than Amazon. Walmart's bigger than Amazon, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, So they have a hundred million Prime members, and what does a Prime cost? It's like a hundred bucks a year now. So that's um, that's ten billion dollars just in Prime fees. That's 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 Salesforce. That's Salesforce's revenue. Just in Prime fees. What's their revenue? Amazon revenue. Surely Google knows that, right? A hundred and seventy-seven billion last year. So they'll be they'll be over two hundred billion in revenue. But they're still not making a profit. No, they do. They do. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They do make but for profit. the longest time, they weren't. Um, yeah. I, I kind of appreciate Amazon's ability to think outside the box and to kind of do scary things, uh, even though I don't agree with them. Like I don't agree with giving them access to my house, but that's thinking outside the box and not letting. If I, if I was sitting in that meeting and they said. We want to we want to have some kind of system where we can go into the house and drop a package off. I'd be like, no way, that's crazy. What's they have? Did you hear the new the news today? Uh, yeah, I was going to say. And then the new one is now they want to get into your car yeah. and stick it in your trunk. I'm like, well, Jeremy's fine with that. He lets people fill his, fill his gas tank up all the time. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. So at this at the office building, this office park we're in here, Hall mm-hmm. Park. Um, so for people who don't know, <laughs> who want to come stalk us, don't be creepy. There's a. Um, oh, here. No, there's a what's it called booster boost or boost booster 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 and boost? you know, it's, yeah. it's they're they're one of the, they're one of these they're kind of a tech company they're they're venture back but they there's an app and you just say yeah, I want gas and you, just, you know, all, all thing you have to do is leave your um what's it called the lid gas tank the gas tank lid yeah. just unlocked if it if it locks but then they come out and they just while you're at work they just fill your tank up and it's like normal gas prices I don't know how they make money they do sell uh, additional services. They like they'll pay rent and upkeep. They'll clean the... your windshield. That's true. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> they'll they clean your windshield. And they'll, um, they'll fill up your if your tires are low. Yeah, you know, but that's stuff they sell. But I don't. I don't ever buy any of that. So, um, yeah. Um, Amazon will put packages in your trunk. Uh, that's not a bad idea because it's better than if you if you're in an area where you've had porch theft. I guess is that what mm-hmm. it's called? People steal your packages. One thing is, I mean, do that, does that mean they get access to turn off your alarm? They would have to. I, or you just have to leave it. I don't know. That's a good point. You, yeah, you wouldn't have to. This is yours. Right? Also, the... No. The no? One. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, now I don't know. I think... Yeah. Yeah, that one's mine. Either way, I'm getting your herpes. By the way, this show is brought to you by <laughs> Space, <Marker. laughs> Space Daydream and Double Mosaic Dream. What else we have? Anyway... I just I'm thinking, wow, they do a ten billion dollars a year in prime fees. Just just the prime fees alone, crazy. You know, it's funny, Amazon is scary, Facebook is scary, but Google is extra scary and they're kind of flying under the radar right now. Because they're not really doing anything but continuing to collect your data. All your search data, all your email data, all your form data. Um, more and more businesses are are running their communications through Gmail. They have a lot of our data. This is scary. And, and, you know, Facebook's, of course, they've been in the news a ton. Oh, we let her in. <laughs> but, you know, it it's not locked? I don't know. I think it is locked. Uh, so, yeah, so they Facebook's been in the news, of course, a bunch because Zuckerberg went to uh, Capitol Hill to be interviewed by the whatever. Congress. We talked a little bit about that we last week, didn't we? Yeah. Okay. But they've still been in the news a bunch. Of, and of course, you know, you've, there's been this flurry of articles about how, hey, uh, you think Facebook's bad? Google's actually worse. Yeah. And I don't know. 
but I, I do have, um, you know, we've been wondering, we're still, we still haven't figured out like what this, you know, what was it a couple months ago that Benioff just out of nowhere started, started uh, lobbying for Facebook to be regulated. And I noticed, because I watched some of the Zuckerberg interviews and read some of the transcripts, and it's like, almost like Zuckerberg is wanting to be interviewed. Or, sorry. Regulated. Regulated. <clears throat> I'm like, well, why would he want Facebook to be regulated? This makes no sense. Well, he wants to be regulated, but he also wants to sit at the table <laughs> when they're defining the regulations. Okay, so you are, you're kind of, you're right on my, what point I'm going to make here. And I actually have a, a, a clip or a few clips that I, that I clipped up, chopped up to describe this. So there's, apparently there's this thing called Baptists and bootleggers. Uh, it's a theory. Have you heard of this? No. Okay. All right. Well, let me. Play this here. The way I so the story, as far as I know, come the the image comes from Bruce Yandel. The way I tell this story is that you imagine a a politician um, right after prohibition is repealed down in the South, and so he doesn't have much to run on. So he's looking for two things, and a political consultant comes to him and says, "All right, you need two things. You need a central issue to run on." And you need campaign cash. And I know the guy who can provide both of them. And that is Oswald Johnson. And the politician says, Oswald Johnson, the, the notorious bootlegger who's running rum across counties? Why, why, why would I want his money? Well, listen, Oswald Johnson's going to provide your money. And the issue is that you're going to make this a dry county. And the, well, I can't go up there with Oswald Johnson. No, you're going to go up there with Pastor Smith. And you're going to denounce Oswald. And you're going to denounce Oswald Johnson and the devil's brew. And Oswald Johnson is going to fund your campaign because, as a bootlegger, he needs you to make this a dry county. Because only then, only when the bars and liquor stores are driven out of business, do people turn to him. That's Baptists and bootleggers. Wow. Never heard that story. So it's like, yeah, when you're in a powerful position or, or whatever, you can get, um, you want you want regulation. You want to be regulated. Uh, literally, in this case, the guy, the the bootleggers, they wanted to be regulated out of business. So, which creates a market for them. It creates a competitive advantage for them. Right. It creates better pricing environments. You know, higher demand, lower supply, all that kind of stuff. It also reduces the chance of competition because I think one thing that comes along with higher regulation yeah. is just the cost of operating. It's hard for some for another startup to come in and say, "I'm the new Facebook." You, you end up with either a monopoly or like a, a cartel, almost mm-hmm. type of situation. All right, so I've got a this next one's a kind of a modern day example. Uh, one of my favorite examples is the indus- is the life insurance industry funding an ad with a Paris Hilton lookalike, where Paris Hilton is thanking the Republicans for the tax cut. The tax in question was the estate tax. And this was the life insurance industry's effort to restore the estate tax, which mm-hmm. is the death tax. One thing is a lot of pe- reason people go to life insurance companies is for get around it. estate planning to right. get around it. So they are using this populist message. That's uh, the Baptists. Oh, well, you can't just enrich the rich people so that then they can be needed to right. get around it. Yeah, that's interesting. So insurance companies lobby to keep keep the death tax and to try to build public support for that and make make Republicans, I don't know, seem or make them seem evil because they've given a gift to rich people when arguably that's not really what that was, right? But 
So they so want the death It's kind of like a back. smoke and mirrors. It's like, watch this over here while we do this in the background. Yeah, kind of. That's a, this is what we're really a, trying to do. This is, what, this is what we want you to think we're doing. Mm-hmm. All right, one more clip. And this is applying it to our current situation. And again, it happens on industry after industry. And I think you, you the an analogy being, I mean, not an analogy, but a, a sister of that is what we're seeing today with Facebook, where you have Mark Zuckerberg saying, well, yes, the question isn't whether there should be regulation of social media, but what sort? And he's got, he went ahead in one interview proposed there should be required artificial intelligence to weed out hate comments. Mm-hmm. And the person says, well, isn't that going to be tough? Yeah, it's tough, but we already have lots <laughs> we already, of people we can do lots it, though. of money yeah. working on it. And so it's... So they, they want to make it so hard and set the bar so high on the regulation so that basically no one else can get... I mean, face, the only people who can do it that are in that space is Facebook. Not only that, it's it's it's, it's been proven to be horrible technology. Uh, exactly. I mean, YouTube it themselves have, have tried to do that and have gone back to... Manual, people reviewing yeah. stuff because it was just flagging so many different things incorrectly. It's a, another situation where you're preserving Zuckerberg's monopoly by passing these regulations, right. but you can say that you're doing the opposite. You can say that you're challenging his market power by proposing regulation. Right. Yeah. And it's not that I'm saying that Benioff is in on this, but wouldn't that be interesting <laughs> if Benioff was in on this? Because wow. he, I mean, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying he is. Although I do think the Baptists and bootleggers, that's definitely a, 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 a thing. That's a real thing, a tangible thing that happens. But I still want to know, like, Benioff, you came out of nowhere. Because we'll never, we'll never find this out. But you came out of nowhere. I mean, with, with this. And it made no sense for your business. Or on the surface, it makes no sense for your business because Facebook's a big partner. And you guys sell this big old expensive tool that ties right into that whole thing. Mm-hmm. So what are we missing? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm slowly well, maybe, peeling back maybe, the onion. Maybe, John. maybe like Zuckerberg, he also wants a seat at the table. Um, he also provides this, uh, this little tool called Einstein. Yeah, which offers anal- uh, artificial intelligence. Does it, or does, does it just offer t- statistics? <laughs> it, it's both. <laughs> okay, it's it's one and the same. There's been uh, there's even, even even like AI people don't call it AI anymore. They call it machine learning because it's just. It, it's gotten so bad. There was an article that was making the rounds on all the kind of programmer sites about um, you know, spilling beer. Yeah, John, you're cut off. No, I just, I'm just my I'm shaking. <laughs> you need to, you need more beer. That's your problem. You need to, you need to drink more beer to calm your nerves. So that's the solution: more beer. Yeah, I smell. Yeah. Where um, was I? I don't know. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have a question for you. I, uh, yeah, I'm kind of in the, I guess, beta phases of, of releasing a, an application. It's a web-based application. And, you know, I'm doing all this kind of manual browser testing. Mm-hmm. Somewhat cross-browser is, is kind of as good as I, I can. And I've got some VMs that the, I've been using these, the VMs at Microsoft to let you use for, um, for browser testing. Okay. But I was asking, I asked in the channel yesterday in the, in the, in our Slack team, um, which is actually a great resource. I got some good answers. Um, John, for people who aren't in our Slack team, how, <laughs> how could they get in this? I mean, is it is there a? There's got to be an annual fee, right? No, it's all free. No, there's not. A, there's not an initiation no. process you have to go through or anything. No, no, no. hazing. No really? Oh, no. well, what do, what do you do then? How do you get in? Just go to www.gooddayserpodcast.com forward slash community, or just go to the website and click on the community, put in your email address, and we'll invite you. No, that's amazing. 
I, I've noticed lots of new um, signups, or what are they called, signups? You know, it's surprisingly, it's still fairly steady. I get, you know, a handful every other day, if not every week. They I come mean, in waves. I feel like Chuck has been signing people up again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. Anyway, um, but so I got, what I wanted was, I want some like really awesome tool. We're, we're with, so without even leaving my own browser, I get like a little, almost like a, a VM, a, a, a remote desktop or something into all kinds of other browsers with different versions on different OSs and different mobile devices and all that kind of stuff. I have that. You do? What is that? Browser stack. Okay, browser stack. So that was one of the, <laughs> and I've, uh, I've used, what did I, I use? I used Sauce Labs before, but in a totally, and it's been a, it's been a while, actually. That service must have been around for a while because it's been years since I've did this. But I, I did automated, automated, um, bra- uh, automated like actual what's that what's that called now? Like Selenium kind of like testing. Hmm. I think actually I think it was Selenium. We did Selenium on this, and it ran in all these Sauce Labs environments. So what did you just kind of work out the position and make sure things were yeah, visible? Yeah, and it would e- yeah, and we could even do like visual diffs and stuff like that. And it could take mm-hmm. screenshots or whatever. But I don't want, I mean, I'm not looking for automation right now. I might in the future. What I'm looking for right now is just a way that I can get in and manually test without firing up a bunch of VMs. Yeah. But apparently, um, yeah, Browser Stack and Sauce Labs both have a, a thing that you can do that. Unfortunately, it's like, it's like 40 bucks a month, which is like, okay. No, that's, that's, I guess that's okay. I, I just, the th- well, they want you to sign up for annual, which I'm like, I don't, you know. <laughs> I signed up for annual. <laughs> Did you? Oh, I'll just use your account then. There you go. Um. No, that's actually pretty cool. I, how how well does that work? How does that work? How seamless is it? It, it works is it really through well. the your own browser. No, it's through. It, yep. it, you're essentially tunneled into one of their machines. It feels like, and you're using their browser. So there are times where I have to like copy and paste the URL because for some reason the trans it has a a, a a browser plugin. So you click on it and it goes to that VM. Loads but you're your site. okay. But you're still in your browser. You're not you're not running different apps and VMs on your machine, right? No, no. Yeah, okay. it's it's okay. still it's all through the. Through their app or the browser, there's an app that comes with it, but it's all through the. It's all okay, that. that's yeah, that's yeah. what I want. I mean, is it pretty quick to get from like, let's say, yeah, you can I, switch i11 on Windows eight to i11 on Windows seven or something like that. You know those kind of things. Yeah, but I, I will say that it it provides so many options of different browsers. You have to kind of just level set on what you really want to test pick, pick because the important ones. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you have every iterate. You have like Microsoft Edge on like the tablet the mobile tablet thing and then you have the edge on desktop and then you have like all these variations for all these different types of systems it's, and it's like uh, I yeah. don't want to test all that right I think for the most part I'm like okay just give me the latest version of edge I'll test on that on I guess Windows 10 and I'll test i11 on I guess what is it Windows 7 yeah. um, it can be a little frustrating because it is kind of slow I mean you, your page loads and everything but it, like if you want to load up the dev tools you have it's kind of slow to load okay. that and manipulate that so your clicks are kind of not as responsive as i would like them to be but um yeah i mean for testing and viewing and make sure everything looks and works right it's it's awesome Mm. i like it that's cool um let's see what else you got anything else john uh yeah i have a few things i thought um time check got about another 15 20 minutes yeah that's probably we're almost in an hour so that's probably good well i have one news item i have a bunch of news items but i'll get rid of them all and just talk about this one. And then I thought we, I have like a list of uh, release note highlights that I thought I'd bring up. Okay. Uh, when, what, what release is this? Is this something coming? Summer up? 18. Summer 18. What do we have a date on that one yet? I don't know. The pre-release is out. So I'm assuming soon. 
Yeah, so now. You, so you can't, I think we are, we already passed stuff. So you want to get a new pre-release sandbox now, you can't because technology is hard, I guess. We, there's that window, you know, like after you pass a certain window, any new sandbox you get is going to be the old version, not the, not the pre-release. And there's nothing you can do to get a pre-release except maybe, I don't know. So I think the best practice is to have a, always a pre-release org that's always your pre-release org. So you'd create a sandbox that's always your pre-release org. Just don't accidentally refresh it because you, you forgot that it, when you refresh it, it goes back to... Yeah, you kind of have to like work out the timing to, if, if you want to refresh it, but if you just need, it just depends. So if you have an org, if you have a sandbox that's on a pre-release instance, as long as you don't ever refresh it, which is well, my 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 best practice would be have your pre-release org, and then after it goes GA, refresh that sandbox, and then you should be fine. Relatively, depends on how many customizations you're doing, but most people aren't mass, you know, modifying a ton of crap. I mean, do you do you is there ever a point in the cycle where you get to pick what you're on? Which, which, whether you're on a pre-release or not, I don't think so. That would be nice. No, I just think it's like if you want to, if you want to be on pre-release, then either like your existing sandboxes, you can't refresh them. Don't refresh them. Which actually, in and of itself, causes big problems because so many times, like, like, no, I need to refresh because I need to get like my, I need to get an updated copy of like what production looks like into into my sandbox. That, that's here. job security. That's a. Uh... You got to manage the time time frame. You yeah. got to know whether or not you're going to need to do UAT that's, that, on that new release or not. That's not really that's not very good job security because that's one of those things that seems low value, even though it's important and takes a lot of planning and work and stuff. It's considered like it's considered low value. Like it's it that shouldn't be hard. No one thinks it's very awesome or anything that you do. Well, that. if you're if you're huge enterprise that that has basically customized Salesforce to the nth degree, you care and you have the team to be able to care. If you're a mom and pop who just does a bunch of stuff and point and clicky stuff, they don't care. Yeah. So no, you basically just have to like when you're when you're collecting your sandboxes, your pre-release, your non-pre-release. It's just it's all about when you actually refresh them. That's how you mm-hmm. that's how you determine what you get. Is like you yeah. wait until a certain date to refresh, or you make sure you refresh by a certain date. Right. It's really crusty. It is, but it's manageable. I mean, I, I don't know. That- oh no, there's been plenty of times I'm on teams where that. Caused us a lot of problems. Like we we can't get, for example, our pre-release. Why? Because you wanted to use a new feature? No, because it's because we we like we need to refresh, right? But you can't refresh because you're not gonna you're gonna lose your pre-release if you refresh. So you have to test your pre-release on your old production, on what used to be production six months ago. But you shouldn't be testing on a pre-release. No, sure, because you want to make sure your stuff works when the new version comes out. You sh- you need to test on both, really, but. To, to say that you shouldn't test on pre-release, that means you don't know how well your stuff's going to work. You with want a new to regression version. test on your pre-release. You don't want to do new development and test on that pre-release. Yeah, you got to have. How do you do regression on your pre-release if what's in your pre-release sandbox is super crusty old? I get notifications on my in my email. No, you didn't answer say, my question. You completely skirted my question. No, I'm now. saying I get a notification that says pre-release is available. I go and make sure I'm refreshed. Or that I'm not refreshed. Okay. Well, yeah, you have to. And, and hopefully <laughs> hopefully nothing ever changes. Hopefully you don't get new team members on your that will need sandboxes and all that kind of stuff because you can't do anything. I mean, once well, you shouldn't be developing on a pre-release. Well, sure you what should. What if you, what, if, what if you know that what you're developing is not going to be released before the next, ver- the next edition of Salesforce, the next release of Salesforce? But there's out. no guarantee that, that something in the pre-release is going to make it to release. Someone could find something in the pre-release that says, we're going to delay this. Yeah. So, I don't so, you're, I don't saying, th- so you're saying don't don't do any testing on pre-release. No, don't I'm saying don't do any new development on a pre-release. Well, what's, pre-release. Not new, what's not new development? I'm just Every saying do regression testing on your pre-release to make sure that 
the release isn't going to break something you already have. Yeah. But any new development should go through on on a non-pre-release. Well, what if you're what if you developing against features that what if you're not planning to re- to release until the next uh, release comes out, and you need features that are in the pre-release. You're developing on those features. Then you're gambling. You're, you you you're, are gambling. You're, you're no, no, but let's say that's that's your business. That's a strategy that management's taken. Like we're yeah. going to build on this thing. You know, it's just, just it's you know, you can people you can that sit here, you can sit like here an edge and make that, apologies I mean, for it all, all you want, but I mean, it's I'm it's not making apologies. No, I'm you saying. Can't and it's just super crusty <laughs> that you cannot pick which instance you when you create a new sandbox or refresh one. Like, hey, I want this to be on pre-release or I want this to be on non-pre-release. Why cannot you pick that? Is that that hard? I, I dis- it, it boggles okay, the I, mind. I agree with you, I, I agree with you, you and disagree that. on so many things, but on your last statement, I totally agree with you. You <laughs> should be able to pick what version you want to refresh to. Anyway, it's one of those uh, perennial topics. <laughs> you see that um, Barclays has downgraded Salesforce? That's just no. not a big deal. These, these, I thought we were on my news topics. Oh, what, what was it? It was about AI. It was Keith Block, uh, an okay. interview on, right, on well, the information. We can get to Barclays in a minute. Okay, let's do Keith Block. Ken Block. Ken Block. Keith yeah. Block. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm confused. So I thought this was pretty surprising. And it to me, it seems like Salesforce, this is what makes Salesforce work as a company, is that, yes, the marketing hype is there. And it says you can do anything and everything, build to your heart's content. The world is your oyster. But internally, they're still fairly pragmatic. Yeah, the world's your oyster as long as you're on the right pre-release, not pre-release. <laughs> <laughs> so on numerous occasions where I've gotten to interact with internal Salesforce people, they've all been very pragmatic about the system, about the limitations, about what you can and can't do. They, they understand how it's painful and, and all those kind of things. Uh, some of it is just technology decisions that they've made in the past that make it difficult for them to fix now. And some of it's just there's no budget or ROI on that feature. Um, so this article was about uh, Keith Block's comments about AI and how there's a lot of talk and buzz about AI and blockchain, but they're not entirely sure how that's going to pan out. They're not entirely sure how that's going to really add value and translate into dollars in terms of being able to sell Salesforce as a platform and just in general, how you're going to use it in your business. Um, so I don't know. I, I thought the article was interesting. You're staring at me and you don't look like you have much to say no, about I'm, it. But, um, his words were, uh, says customers are, so Salesforce COO, Keith Block, COO. He's president and COO, right? Is he president? I thought, no, yeah, Benioff is. is still president. I don't know. I don't care. He's the second man in charge, right? Yeah. I don't know why I was thinking he was CFO, but I don't know. Anyways, uh, Salesforce COO. Who? Mark Hawkins. Oh. Uh, he says, customers are interested in newer technologies like artificial intelligence and blockchain, but it's unclear what sort of business impact they will have. And I wonder if that's just because everyone hears about it. It's this buzzword in the media. It's AI is taking over everything. It's in everything. It's it's in everything you do. And and so people are feeling like, oh, I need to get on this AI thing. I gotta. I, I can't be like the guy who rejected putting up a website. Um, and then blockchain as well. I mean, these are concepts people, normal people don't understand, including myself. I don't understand AI. I don't understand blockchain. Yet the world and the buzz is that you got to understand AI. You got to understand blockchain. You got to use it. And people are like, I have no idea. And even the people developing these technologies have no idea. They don't really know how to effectively use blockchain. They don't really know effectively how to use AI. Yeah, it's it's weird because I think definitely AI is changing things and it will it will continue to significantly change industries, products, how we live. But I think it does so in a way that you can't market to. Well, no, people will figure out. But anyway, I was gonna, the, the corollary to that is, though, 
is that people haven't figured out how to market this. They are struggling to, some companies are struggling to productize it. Mm-hmm. Um, their AI is still, you know, is not living up to, in most cases, what the, what the promises are. Um, well, I think what people's you know, ideals are. I mean, more and more, I see more and more articles. There was one this past week that made the rounds. It was how, um, yeah, you probably don't need AI. Like, you'd be surprised what you can do with SQL queries. Like, people are getting better information, better decisions out of SQL queries, plus some just manual intuition and, like, knowledge of future events. That's what's interesting part, because AI mm-hmm. doesn't understand future events, or at least not, not really not yet. Not the way that most, most of it's been implemented. Um, like, for example, let's say that um, you know, you're using Salesforce's AI thing to tell you which leads to pursue. And you happen to know that there's um, gonna, probably going to be some bill passed that is going to change the business that your customers are in. Now, I'm pretty sure that Einstein's not looking at that. Einstein is looking at stuff in your org. Well, it could be, but also, but just, it's, just as we discussed, it's not earlier, reading. It's not, it's not reading text of legislation. It's it doesn't. AI is just not there. That's what I'm, I'm just saying. saying it's, it, it's not it, like, it AI probably, is not some all knowing thing. No, I mean it probably could be included in the data set, but if it's included in the data set, then you come across what we talked about earlier: is what is the real purpose of that bill? The wording may say it's going to make right. make it easier right. for you to do X, Y, Z, but really, it's kind of protecting monopoly or something like that. Yep. and that's and that's where. The point is that AI is really not AI. I mean, it most, what's, most of what's been called AI is, is either, you know, machine learning at best, or if not, just basic, actually just statistics. From what I've seen, most of the algorithms have been falling under the statistic umbrella. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can get actually a really far away with, like, li- just regressions or, or multivariable regressions and things. I mean, they can, that, if you've got enough data, I mean, they can tell you which leads to go pursue, Pr- that's probably what Einstein's doing. It's not that But I, I think that's the value of what, what's been termed AI is that it's this turnkey solution. It's the solution that exists and you don't have to do that. You don't have to hire your, your data scientist. I'm using air quotes here. Right. You don't have to hire your data scientist to build those queries and, and build those algorithms. Yeah, it's, and it's, and I mean, I guess ultimately it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter what the technology behind it is. It matters how effective it is. Right. And yeah. of course, I, I haven't seen really anything on, on the effectiveness of Einstein. And I think that's probably his point and and probably in some sense my point as well is it's how do you productize that? How do you market that? Cuz it's it's not really well, doing anything that you can't do. And also today. why would you use that? I mean show me show me the scientific paper that has been written up and peer reviewed or something that shows why I should use Einstein that shows that Einstein actually makes better decisions than people could. It just that doesn't exist. They haven't done that yet. They just go up there with smoke and mirrors and Dreamforce and talk about how amazing it is you know they, but there's there's that's zero the reason to believe that it's actually better that's the marketing side of things yeah i guess so. like i said i for me more than anything this article kind of illustrated the the yin and yang that salesforce has going for it it's got the marketing who's just kind of in your face you can do anything and everything and everything we put out is gold and then you have the more pragmatic side the side that's saying well okay here's what this really means here's what this really does here's the limitations that we have to live within um so i don't know yeah. When I see these things kind of surface up, it, it encourages me because there are times where I feel like Salesforce is so in a bubble of their own making that I think this is bad. So whenever I hear a little bit of honesty, when I hear a little bit about a little, little bit about you know, yeah, we haven't really figured that out. Um, we're we're just like everyone else, working through this industry, providing tools, seeing where where it lands. The Salesforce has been very much in a bubble. Um, a lot of it's a bubble of their own making. A lot of it is a bubble that has been allowed to grow because financial markets and 
and the press has allowed it to grow the way it is. But I, I feel like this is becoming a troublesome bubble. Uh, some of it's because, you know, Salesforce is starting, there's, the, the ice they're skating on is getting thinner. Mm. Um, so let me jump to the Sparklace thing because it's, although not a big deal. And I, again, I'm not making a big deal out of this one because these, these, as far as I don't trust any of these analysts or I don't trust most of them. Mm. And they're always upgrading and downgrading and, and most of it's just because they're trying to get their clients to to buy, to pay sell. transaction fees on buying <laughs> and selling stuff all the time and getting commissions. But it just talks about, let me see here, I didn't really highlight anything here. It's, um, their financial performance has a weak spot. It's, it's their low margins and, and free cash flow um, that are becoming increasingly detrimental as they, as they com- and this is an interesting point about this article, actually, it, as they're competing in M&A with deep-pocketed rivals. And it talks about how they lost the you know the bidding war to um, for LinkedIn to Microsoft, mm-hmm. and then uh, it says if, if Salesforce wants to stay in Wall Street's good graces, which they have been, um, but they want to do it long term or can, in the future, they're going to have to find a way to grow their margins and improve their cash flow. And then, and then I mean we, I've talked a little bit about this. You know, they're I've been tracking their margins. Um, They've been improving a little bit, but I mean, just you definitely would expect more leverage by this point. That that's the concerning part. And then their cash flow, you know, like if you compare their cash flow to, or if you actually if you take out their their stock based compensation, I mean, their cash flow doesn't look n- near as good. And anyway, they're saying the reason that this is troublesome is because less cash means Salesforce is less competitive against larger competitors such as Microsoft when it comes to acquisitions. Uh, here's a quote: uh, Salesforce faces a new competitive reality, especially against the mega tech vendors like Microsoft. Uh, for its 10 billion revenue scale, Salesforce has disappointing profitability. "Quote suboptimal margins and cash flows can hurt Salesforce's competitive position long term, especially when it comes to M and A." So that's just kind of more repeating, but yeah, it goes on. It talks about MuleSoft, um, how they the this is interesting. I hadn't really thought of that. This probably shows what a dummy I am because it's pretty obvious. The reason they paid what they paid for MuleSoft six point eight six billion was because they had to pay a premium because they didn't have the cash, so they wanted to pay in some stock and. There's, the value of this stock gets basically gets discounted by the by the um by the per, by the company being purchased because it's not as it's it's problematic stock and it's you know it's not the same as cash right you know two birds in the bush or whatever you know that one right or two birds in the hand whatever it is I can't remember <laughs> to that analogy by the way <laughs> you don't know you don't get that one I never got it I've or, always heard it I've heard it tons of times but I've never no it's got it's it. a bird in the hand is worth more than a bird in the bush yeah I never got and it if you have the bird in your hand you've got it. But if it's in the bush, like you may not even be able to get it. It's you don't have it yet. It's isn't it similar to like counting your ch- chickens before they hatch? You understand yeah, that, one, right? Yeah, I guess I get that one. I mean, we I, sung I that in fourth grade. So I, ho- I hope you get that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, huh. what do you think about that, John? I don't know. It, it's tough when it comes to that stuff because I, I feel like there's so much misinformation around it that I, I, I never know what to think. I, I, I like your analyses of the Q results better than than what these analysts put out. Yeah. So I feel like it's a more honest take and more more analytical look at it. Maybe, I don't know. It, there's it's kind of sad to say that that an, that an analyst is, to me, feels more like marketing hype than than you and I, Joe Blows off the street, just looking at a quarterly report and trying to make sense of it. Oh, I, think, I feel like I was just relate this back to my day in and day out work. And it kind of frustrates me that Salesforce has gotten away for so long with, with some smoke and mirrors, with, um, with, you know, skating on thin ice and with everyone letting them get away with it, with 
claiming certain capabilities and those things just not being what they are with saying that you can do all these things. And the reality is it's like, it kind of sucks to do those things on the platform. You know, they've just gone away for, with that for so long. And, and I don't, it's not like, you know, I, I want good things for Salesforce uh, just from a selfish perspective. Mm. I don't want them to fail. I don't, I don't want them to get into trouble. I want them to fix these things. And I, I'm scared that, you know, the, I guess the thing that scares me is that they're, they might overextend. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. they get themselves in trouble and it's, you know, just because it hasn't happened, just because they haven't got themselves in trouble yet, doesn't mean they're not going to. And it actually doesn't mean that they're not already in trouble. And it just hasn't, the, the stuff hasn't hit the fan yet. Yeah. Well, I prefer to think that's not happening. Oh, me but... too. No, that's, that's my point. Me too. I, I just, you know, I don't know. And, and, and of course, maybe if they did, I, I always have to preface this, even let's say they ran their company like I would want them to run it. They could that could have com- completely failed. Yeah. Oh, we're gonna just like concentrate on hardcore developer stuff, and we're not gonna sell past what we can do, and we're just gonna talk about what we can do right now, and we're gonna focus on like command line tools and better <laughs> language features. Well, that probably would land you in in, bank- sure it's in been bankruptcy tried court. And failed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I'm not saying that I have the answers or they should run their company the way I do. I'm just I just I do get worried though that they it, it is a bit it's almost like the the saying fake it till you make it, but how how many times can you fake it until yeah. someone calls you out on hey, your shit bit? It's been 20 years, guys. <laughs> oh, marker. Oh yeah. Sorry, I didn't even hear that. Uh anyway. Yep. So let's uh let's clean up the house a little bit, Salesforce. So I get our ducks in a row. Yeah. Well, I think we'll save the release notes for next time. I think our conversations went a bit long, and I unfortunately have to get in a call. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I'll I'll go out with this, um, which is, you mentioned Keith Block talking about blockchain. Uh-huh. There's some, um, he's like a well-known VC guy. Who did he, who did he invest in? Tesla, Hotmail, and Skype. Draper, right? What's this guy's name? Something Draper? I don't know. Anyway, he, he made news because... He saying that um, Bitcoin is going to hit two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and it's going to be bigger than the internet. Bitcoin will be a bigger thing than the internet was. The fiat currencies are going to be. It's going to be ridiculous. It's you know, not too far in the future to even think to like to, to to deal with you know fiat currency from from governments. Two hundred fifty thousand, and here's here's what this blew my mind. I guess someone actually did a little bit of research here. Uh, Draper bought nearly 30,000 Bitcoins in a 2014 U.S. Marshall Service auction. Hmm. Assuming he still has those, and that's the case, he's holding now $268 million at today's prices of Bitcoin. Bitcoin still scares me. It's not, it's not, it's not a gamble I want to take right now, or ever, to be honest. Oh, I wish I would have bought 30,000 Bitcoins. Oh my gosh. Yeah, maybe once upon a time if I had it and they were sitting around, but it's not something and what, I really what's, want to get What is Bitcoin right now? right now? What is it trading at? I don't know. Um, What's it worth? You know how you say that. Surely that. Why, why can't I just type Bitcoin and just why? Why does Google not tell me what the price is right now? Because Google doesn't like Bitcoin. <laughs> probably you're probably They're right. working on their I own know. coin. I should Bing it. <laughs> okay, so Bitcoin is at nine thousand dollars. They're working on G Coin. If you bought one Bitcoin for ten grand right now, and he's right, that whatever that time high rise was, that not too long it's going to be worth two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I mean, look at think how much money you'd make. Come on, man, buy ten of them right now, hundred grand. See, I'm always wary of you'll be a million. You'd be a millionaire. I'm always wary of anybody who says I'd 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 be a million that, a, that I could get you'd rich be a quick. That I could get rich quick for doing nothing. You'd, you'd be up there with like kind of up there in Parker territory a little bit, maybe. He's probably a billionaire or close to it. Uh, but let me at least, you know, at least you can 
You got the M, the all, million. All I want out of life is to provide comfortably for my family, take a few vacations, and retire comfortably. I have no interest in being a millionaire. No, what, I really don't. Yeah, you're full of crap. I don't. Uh, didn't you say we had reviews? Are we going to hold those? Yeah, let's hold them because okay. I I, yeah, I have like four minutes before I jump on this all call. Right. Well, so we, yeah, we got a couple of reviews. Those are always fun, but we will yeah. read those next time. Um, you're, we're doing shirts, right? So all you people that are on the shirt list, we yeah. uh, people who have been on for like a year. You're still on, and we and thank you. By the way, I don't I, have that list. I have all the new list from our I last have a episode. Spreadsheet. Uh, okay, you're eroding confidence, John. All right, well, send me the spreadsheet because I'm going to take the shirts you should, you from your from your trunk <laughs> into my trunk, <laughs> and I'm doing like a mass mailing this week. It was not a metaphor, by the way. Um, no, but uh, and thank you for everyone who reached out and and signed up to get a shirt because we do. And we and still we, have yeah. some. Yeah, and it, we, yeah, I'm sure we... Actually, what we should do, let us let us send these out and then we'll figure out what all the sizes and everything we have left and we'll, we'll come we'll back. do an inventory. And, yeah, we'll do an inventory count. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll na- enable that shopping feature on our site and let people just like That's true. order it. Yeah. It'll it's, be like free, it's free. but we'll right. order it. Yeah, just sign up. That way it. I can track it better. Because we got so many orders coming in that, John, we can't deal with hey. the emails. <laughs> it's all about... We're, we're, we're evolving. We're yep. advancing. We're, we're becoming more... So, sooner or later, we'll have to buy Salesforce to track all our leads and everything. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Not sure about that. <laughs> well, and to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Why don't you bring me a drink as you disrobe? Your, your middle leg was out of position there. <laughs>